Hello and welcome to the Business of Property podcast. I'm Stuart. And I'm Simon. And we're both property people running our own businesses. And this podcast is just us chatting every Wednesday, as we often do, about anything and everything property. And for the last couple of weeks, we have been embarking on, in the loosest sense, a bit of a series around some emails that we receive, people talking about how we derive the strategies and the the processes that we've got. Last week, we talked about our time investment, cost investment, and knowledge that we'd that we'd gleaned. We we might have got a little distracted onto personal versus limited companies, but that's good. <laughs> not not at all like that to get distracted while we're chatting about property. <laughs> no, not at all. Nothing like us. But what that means is we still have a few bits to cover off in terms of how we invest. And Simon, we were talking a, a little bit about, for want of a simpler phrase, strategy, how we decided how we would invest in property. And we talked about the fact that you invest with more of an eye on, on the longer term and probably less less time intensive at the start, although still similar costs. But just talk to us a little bit more about your process of why you've why you ended up investing the way you invest in property i think because it was simple so right at the beginning my first property investment or sort of income from property was from lodgers and that was because it was the the only option i had really because it was my own home as well that i was renting out rooms in so they, those people were lodgers and, and that's that's the only only option I had moving on from there my driving requirement early on was simple and low time commitment the next investment I made was a property that needed a little bit of a refurb however I had help on that refurb so my parents were, were quite involved with that and they provided a lot of that initial knowledge and a reasonable amount of the time input to get that up and running to work with the the, the workmen and, and builders involved, tradespeople, that's the word, involved in doing that refurb. So my, my time commitment was relatively low and the whole process from my point of view was relatively straightforward. And at that point, this was important because I had a a full-time job. I I had a a day job at the time and I just didn't have very much in the way of time to, to commit to the, the process. Moving on to, to nearer now, that's changed a little bit. I no longer have a, a day job in the same sense. And my time is a lot more flexible and I can put a bit more time in. However, I still want my investments to be relatively passive and relatively low time. And, and hence why I've really only stuck with relatively simple buy-to-let investments so far. As I've mentioned a few times on this podcast, I do have quite a strong underlying interest in property and in creating, adapting, building interesting property. And I would like to have the space for that to, rather, I would like to have the space to explore that more. And hopefully, at some point, I will will have the time and the flexibility to do that. 
but but currently I'm still on still on the Bytelet train and keeping things simple. Yeah, and I think it's a good time to to mention the the matrix that I created a little while ago. It's a very very simple matrix, if you like, of time versus costs. So, for example, this what you're talking about that where most of us want to start is buy to let takes a limited amount of time but in terms of a high medium low scale we'd say buy to let is medium of course it can be low or high depending on where you're buying and the value but there's just a little matrix we've created which might just help people visualize this um, that we'll put on the business of property.com so something i really like about, about this matrix that you've created is that both axes are labeled investment so what one has a, a sub label of of money and the other has a sub label of time but they are both primarily investment mm. I, I think that's that's very important to remember that you are you are investing time and money into into your property property business yeah and and most of us don't value our time enough we think just because we we can do something that that, that it's not costly and of course it is and for anyone with a family or hobbies that they like doing, if you if you then start doing something else, you are that is costing you that time. So there is always a, an investment of sorts. But the reason I'm just calling it out because I think it, it works perfectly with what you're talking about there in terms of the time that you had available versus the funds that you had available met, pushed you closer to that that side of the matrix, which is where buy to let. And just for sort of sake of clarity, for people that have perhaps lots of time but very little money they might look at something like rent to rent which requires less financial investment still requires investment lower financial investment but higher time investment because you would take on more of the roles that a typical letting agent would would make yeah quite i think uh, we should add in a, a little note here in so much as while this matrix is talking about time and money going into the, the process it doesn't always have to be your own time or money so you could utilize external investors to to boost the money that you've got to go to put into the process or you could utilize an external team or or partially external team to boost the amount of time that you can put into these processes so you 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 can do the things that require more time and money even if you don't personally necessarily have those yeah. available yourself. And I, and I believe that the voiceover on this uh, presentation, which I am more than happy to share with people, actually, it's a, it's a presentation which we can share, which has a talk over for, from me. You just have to listen to me, unfortunately, because it's a, it's a recorded one. But the voiceover is exactly what Simon's just pointed out there, which is it is time and money investment but that time and money doesn't always have to be yours and you will lean into other people's time you you know the simplest thing to think about is obviously tradespeople, because rather than you you know fixing the the leaky tap or putting some tiles back on the roof you you get someone else to do that yeah or the full a full refurb i mean some people buy an investment property and then do the refurb themselves over months or even years mm. and have very very long running flips, particularly. I think that, that tends to be, or or perhaps even live in the, the property while they're while they're refurbing it, and then uh, uh, effectively flip it on from there. That makes me shudder because I, I've done that once, 
and I will never do it again. But then I was very stupid because I did it with three young children and a pregnant wife who was six months pregnant at the time. So uh, I would strongly advise people not to, to go down that route. I haven't done that, but I can well imagine that was a bad <laughs> plan. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's up there with one of the worst. <laughs> um, so where, where do you think you, you fall on this matrix, Stuart? Where, where, where are you now? Well, it, it, it's interesting because when you talked about, because A, it can be other people's time or money, but then also there is a, a, another dimension, which is your your increased knowledge which i think we we kind of talked about on last week really because as your as your knowledge increases hopefully the time collapses a little bit around the things you might want to do because in the early days you might want to pour over floor plans and work plans and uh, schedule of works and, and so on and so forth but my experience is that as we develop i need to do less of that so it takes less time like everything else once you start learning it i just wanted to add that in there because I do think about this quite linearly, but I don't believe it is a, necessarily a linear process because, as, as we've just pointed out, you can use other people to, to change your goals. So whereas I, I started out in exactly the same place, so if we're thinking about the matrix that we're looking at of time and investment, I was firmly low time in a full-time corporate job, but I had some money to invest and I put my, would put myself in the medium bracket, so that's where I started. But as we've developed, I guess both time and money has increased. And if you're looking at the the, the quadrants that we're looking at in the top right, and again, it's a very hard one to talk about, but we've sort of said, and again, just these are just examples, but where could you spend the most amount of time and the most amount of money? Well, that would be commercial to residential. Of course, the most amount of time would be developments, you know, starting from scratch and building your own development, whether that's a, a tower block or a house that would be a lot more time and money. But again, you can reduce how much of your own is involved. But I've sort of grown over to sort of more HMO. We do flips as well. So I, I would still put myself in medium time. I spend, a, you know, not, I'm not full time, but I spend probably half my time on property. And the investment amount is quite high. Most of it though now is not my capital. It's probably a, a lower amount. So I've, I guess I've moved a bit, but I think, that's the other important point for me. This is not a static thing. We're probably doing different points of this at different times. So it, it's, it's again, it's not necessarily a linear passage, but it just it's just devised for people starting out to say, okay, how much time do I have? Because if I've got lots of time, then there's, I've probably got more options. If I have a limited amount of time, then my options are buy to let, as we've talked about, or working with other people that might be doing the other things that I want to do. Yeah, I think. Another factor that is much more is much harder to pin down is actually just what appeals as well. And I've stolen this term slightly from from another of the slides in your presentation, but it is what you what you're interested in. So, for example, if you're going into an HMO market, if you're looking at, at that being your your strategy, you'll tend to be dealing with a certain type of tenants. Perhaps that's students, if you're in the, the student HMO market, or maybe it's the, the young professionals market and sort of slightly older demographic. But you're very unlikely to be dealing with families or beyond that point in, in life 
and you'll be dealing with all of the factors and elements that come from shared living and not necessarily shared living with people you've really chosen to to live with <laughs> so once you're once people are families and they're they're deliberately taking on a home together as a unit they have got together separately and chosen to put themselves together whereas in an hmo setting you're renting the rooms individually there are some exceptions obviously but generally speaking especially in young professional hmos and those people are thrown together they don't didn't know each other before and you have all sorts of shared accommodation and shared living dynamics in in that sort of created group to then then deal with and that i think creates a very different environment for for you to be be working in and, and dealing with so there's there's um, perhaps i should explain why i've i've gone off down this path and that's it's because i i've seen that as a third party from from afar and it's there are lots of issues created in that that i've very specifically decided i don't want to be involved in if i ever did go down an hmo investment path i would very much be looking to have those properties managed for me at least that's my view right now i mean never say never but that's that that's what i would expect just because i wouldn't want that extra layer of complication <laughs> whereas when i'm letting properties to a family or even a, a small group of sharers but the point being that they have chosen to put themselves together they've prearranged that grouping i'm quite happy to to self manage that because it, it creates a very different dynamic and a very different environment and a different set of potential problems and and hopefully far fewer so it's i think it is also what you want to deal with and if you're looking at some of the other strategies like for example flipping then of course you don't have the tenants at all you're you're very much your day-to-day life is dealing with purchasing trades people and selling so a, again you're looking at a very different work life in your in your property business what 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 are your perspectives on that that's jet yeah and it's something we've talked about on previous episodes and and these are the reasons we've decided to take the strategies we've done my strategy most people will 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 purchase hmos or i'm migrating to talking about co-living because i think hmo is a very technical non-customer facing phrase which i'm liking less and less but we go down hmos typically unless you've got a burning desire to solve housing problems typically we'll go to hmo for cash flow so that that was my reason for looking at multi let properties and hmo properties the things you've talked about yeah we where we don't want to to manage those problems we have letting agents so f- for us it's and and that's of course additional cost so we pay for that if we're talking about the time matrices and i think um you know most things can be mitigated but we, again we've talked about this previously but with hmo cost your maintenance costs are likely to be much higher than on than if the same property were a single let property for obvious reasons things are getting used less and so on and so forth so but for us cash flow is what this is about and and generating that cash flow because that's what our business needs and we've 
we've kind of moved on to that strategy about why we've selected that but just coming on to location because that was another question we were asked directly so as i'm talking i'll just answer that question about location why we settled on the location and when i was thinking about us talking about this i think the, the key levers that we've talked about and you've noted previously simon were really why would you choose location number one would be proximity proximity to to where you are another would of course be price because we might not live in a an area where property prices are providing the yields that we want and then that the, you know there's a number of other things that, that fall off the back of that in terms of roi and yield for me it it came down to knowing the area and being for it being affordable for what we wanted to do so the area we landed on was just an area i was beginning to, to know because i have friends there we were visiting regularly i bought our first buy to let in is in the southwest and i started to get those to know those streets really well and it's a university town so that also added you know alternatives for properties we could let out which i quite liked so for for me the location was based on knowledge and we we spoke about this a couple of episodes ago but a lot of people want to buy in capital appreciation areas so they they want houses to to rise quite quickly but that depends on a lot of things and i think i mentioned touched on it before was i have had several messages from people saying look i'm looking at buying in areas x y and z which would you suggest i buy in and i think it's a little bit like when someone's it's a bit like someone saying look i want to buy these shares which ones do you think will rise the most there are so many different variables in each geography it's impossible for anyone to know and of course things like hs2 or where there is significant amounts of redevelopment in an area will impact those prices you know locally we you know we know that infrastructure if infrastructure improves if businesses are coming in that's going to help property prices unless there's a sudden glut of properties but i guess what i'm saying for for me personally i just wanted to know very well the area that i invested in because most city towns and cities will have hospitals they'll have schools and and uh, not all towns will have universities but it's about knowing the good areas where there's good transport links that kind of thing and once i kind of felt comfortable with that then i was happy to start investing in that area what was your experience john uh, i'm going to ignore that question i'm afraid and talk about something else um <laughs> Talking about hotspots, and I think a lot of a lot of emphasis, a lot of people look for and are interested in trying to find the next the next hotspot, the next place that's going to see great growth in in property prices, which is which is lovely, especially if you're you're trying to to time a flip or something like that. But as you said, it's actually that the detail or the devil is in the detail, perhaps I should say, in so much as it, you, you, it's not hard to find people who have made predictions about the, the best, I say best, the, the towns or cities that will see the highest price increases over the last year. And, and some people have got it right and some people have got it wrong. But even if at the beginning of the year you've gone out and bought a property in the 
in the towns that have actually done well, those are, are averages. It, it may well be that you bought in a terrible street in this otherwise increasing town and your property didn't increase in value. It It's really, really difficult to, to just pick a town and say, that town's going to do well. You might get that wrong to start with. But then even if you did get it right, to then go into that town and pick a property in that town and manage to do one, manage to pick one that does really well. But even if you did do that, if you're looking at one of the strategies that's to hold for a longer time, buy to let or HMO or something like that, do you're, you're holding the property, does it actually make that much difference that the property's gone up in, in value? When you come to remortgage it, it may well, but you're probably going to be looking at that over a much longer time period. And then the averages average out quite a lot anyway. So it's, yeah, I, I'm not talking this about hotspot chasing, is my point. Um, to your actual question, my experience of choosing location, it's similar to yours in as so much as it's about my own knowledge of the area. And where's the best place that I, I know lots about? Well, it's where I live. So my my investments going forwards are going to be relatively local to me. This plays into my plan for self-management because it means I can get to the properties. I can, well, <laughs> where, where you're actually allowed to visit properties again. I can get there. I can check on things. This helps with finding them, viewing them, investigating in the first place, helps with maintenance and managing in the, in the longer term. And it also means that I know good streets from bad streets, mostly, at least, because it's, it's where I, I live, it's where I, I travel and where I work and where I take my children to school and, and things like that. So I can use that, that knowledge. I know, I know of other property investors who have very specifically gone out and found new locations, not where they currently are. And they've put in lots of time and effort to work out where there is demand. So as you said, Stuart, looking at things like HS2 and where there are going to be stations on that and where there's development work. So they're actually actually building the line and things like that. So demand from tradespeople for, for that process. And they've very specifically chosen their investment area based on that. And then after choosing sort of the, the locality based on that, They've then gone in and done even more in-depth research. They've looked at where where the shops are, where cafes are, where the existing transport links are, where some of the town is sort of moving into uh, gentrification. So the, the the sort of shops and retail and things are starting to move to more upmarket. And hence the assumption is that the that area is moving upmarket and hence the, the properties will will move up with it. So they, they've done a lot of research and gone into a lot of depth to to find where they're wanting to to purchase their next investment property. Mm. I, I, I think that's fantastic dedication to the cause, but, um, but more effort than I'm willing to put in. <laughs> I, I, I want my, uh, my location knowledge to, to come by accident through living there. <laughs> yeah, and I think the proximity thing is really important and I often say now, if if I could go back in time and invest closer to home, I probably would. 
I probably would. And I have tried a couple of times. But what has become apparent to me is that the relationships that I've built in the last few years in the local area have become incredibly important. And it's one of those oft talked about things. Certainly, if you go to any property networking event or, or, or go on any course, you know, you're your network will be mentioned, your, or your power team. That, that's the old fate, the old classic, your power team. But the truth is that's, that team of people that you work with will become incredibly important. And it's not an overnight thing. And we had that question on one of our podcasts recently. You said, you know, do, you, do we see property as an overnight success? No. And the key reason is because relationships do not happen overnight. Those trusted partnerships where I now trust people I have effectively purchased a property that was over a half a million pounds based on some inputs from my letting agent because I trusted him implicitly around whether or not that property would would fill. And I trusted him because I'd had a lot of experience with him. I'd worked with him on a lot of other properties. So he essentially did the walk around that I didn't do, but I trusted that. And the point I'm making is that because I stayed in the location I was in and worked with those people, I developed those relationships. So location for investment, yes, it's important. But for me, once once you're there, it's the relationships that will happen over time. And of course, there are people that will invest in several areas and spread the risk. And that is something as well that, that shouldn't be under-egged because I, if there is a significant happening as we know very well in life with last year's events we know that you know you all of a sudden you might be in a certain tier and that might infect business so i i am now acutely aware that actually having too many eggs in one basket might be impactful however i think it's it's equally important to to build those relationships that you've got and then and then you'll know you know how what you expect from from people but i i don't want to sort of digress too far from the topic which is about timing the market and i think it's like everything else not there's not one of us unfortunately other than nostradamus that can predict what is going to happen in the future we can make very good predictions based on analytics and you know savills and and lots of other companies are providing good guidance but but no one can categorically say in in the year 2021 which markets will increase the most. We can have good educated guests, but I completely agree with your sentiment, which is actually if we're buying a property and we're buying it for long term, which is in my mind at least 10 years, seven to 10 years plus, then you'll probably expect a lot of growth, which you covered in a recent episode around, because it will cover inflation at the very least. So you're going to expect growth anyway, and ideally you want it to be cash flowing. So they're the, they're the more important criteria than, than worrying about whether or not this town will see, whether Birmingham will see more growth than Leeds, for example. Yeah, on, on having all your eggs in one location basket, I know some landlords who have got a small, perhaps not so small, but they, they have a an HMO portfolio in Crawley. And that, of course, sees a lot or used to see a lot of tenants from Gatwick Airport, which is the, a very big local employer. And of course, that demand from there just fell off a cliff when, when the first lockdown occurred. And as far as I'm aware, it still hasn't really recovered from that. So there's, 
yeah, there's, there's benefit to to having diversity in in your locations. And while I'm currently focusing on a single location, uh, that location is quite wide. So it's it's sort of within a 30 minute drive of me, <laughs> m- maybe within a 20 minute drive of me, actually. So that that's a reasonably big location. And I I am looking at more than one town within that range. So I may well not all be within within Red Hill, which is my, my closest town. I may look at sort of surrounding areas. So perhaps Ellswood or Merston, which are perhaps suburbs of Red Hill, or perhaps also down to, to Hawley, that sort of area, which is, is a, a, a little bit further away. And I might also look out to in other directions to onto the, the Rygate side, although it tends to be a bit bit more expensive to purchase and slightly lower yielding. So probably won't go that way. But the point being that I'm probably going to try and build a little bit of diversity, even within the relatively local area. Of course, this will be impacted by what opportunities actually present themselves and it may not work out quite as diverse as I would like, but but I'll be looking at least. On the distant investing, which effectively you, you do, Stuart, how, I mean, you, you do quite a lot of travel because you, while you do have a, a remote team that's in place and, and you, you trust to do a lot of that on-site work for you, you do still travel quite a lot down to, to your, your investment area. How how do you find that travel? Do you, especially now you've been doing it for a few years, do you, do you find that's a bit tedious or do you, yeah, how, how does that fit into your your plans these days? Well, the truth is I enjoy it. And I think this is something else when we look at the reasons why we do things. And this is on the other slide that you've, you've referenced, which is, you know, what, what do you enjoy doing and what do you not enjoy doing? If you're someone that isn't a fan of traveling, then obviously, Investing in an area that's approximately four hours away, probably not going to be a good idea. For me, I quite enjoy the travel time. Uh, probably got something to do with multiple children and quiet time. Quite enjoy a, tr- a long train ride sometimes as well. <laughs> so, so I enjoy it. It can, it can, of course, it gets tedious because when we're doing big developments, I try and get down there once every couple of weeks just to go and meet the guys make sure you know first and foremost so they know that i'm interested because i don't think there's anything worse than than them thinking they're just you know working for someone that that doesn't have any vested interest in what they're doing so i like to to let them know that i am still keenly interested in what we're doing so yeah for me i quite enjoy it again given the choice would i would i pick the same location again probably not i'd look for somewhere a bit closer to home but anyway that's where we're at the other point I was going to make, and it's probably not for this podcast, but when we've talked about strategies, when you talked about Crawley, it just reminded me of, because as you say, there's a lot of satellite industries as well in and around Crawley, whether that's you know flight attendants, which are directly related, or people that work in the airport, or the people that are providing food for the airport, or for example, Virgin Holidays, which had a huge uh, setup there in British Airways, and so on and so forth. But what that made me think about is, when I'm buying a property, I'm actually thinking of the second and third uses of that property as well as its primary use. So, for example, my primary use 
might have been this is going to be a student property. That's primary. Secondary, in the same state, it would just be a professional let. So would now go to workers as opposed to students. Then a third option could be, could I split this into flats or apartments? And typically, I would want three or four options. And finally, for example, okay, if the world really did end and my my target market disappeared, which, again, given last year's experiences, you can never write off, my thought is, okay, would this work as a residential? And of course, everything would work as a residential, but would it would it generate the same capital that we would need? So just on that point, because I think diversification is very good, but it's easier said than done, particularly in property, because we're talking about large sums of money, typically. So that, so that was just another thought you sparked in my mind there. So when I'm buying property, I actually think, you know, what's my first and second use, but what are my third and fourth uses? So if you looked at my portfolio, most of those properties, I would say nearly all of them could be converted in some way, shape or form. And we would do that if absolutely necessary. That's something that I don't think I do enough of, actually, because I'm going in at sort of the lowest bar, the, the, the residential as the target. I'm not sure that I really have much to fall back on if for some reason residential demand in the area did did reduce. I think I should think a bit more about what I would do if for some reason that property was couldn't find tenants for a while or something. Mm. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it depends. if you're buying a one-bed flat, I mean, we've got a studio flat. There's there's only one use for that flat. <laughs> this, we, uh, well, actually, based on one of the tenants that nearly got it, there's there's another use, but um, it's highly illegal. Well, even ignoring the illegal ones, you could rent it to, uh, no, I was going to say a family, but no, you can't rent that to a family, a very, very small family. You, you could rent it to, to an, a single person. You could probably rent it to a couple. You could change tact somewhat and make it a serviced accommodation apartment so you could rent it to to holiday makers or to uh, local businesses for corporate purposes so that even even just a a studio flat there there's some flexibility there mortgages and leaseholder agreements permitting <laughs> yes i'm thinking and you're absolutely right I, i'm thinking of tenant type but of course yeah there's two and and the truth is we've looked at all of those, by the way. So it was a standard buy to let. We have looked at um, service accommodation, which which we would do, but the cost of setup is was quite a lot versus what we'd make in the short term. I, I guess I'm thinking in terms of sort of tenant type and target markets. It's because it, even yours, and again, I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking, well, okay, well, but if you're buying a house, could it be converted into two flats, for example? There's an option. Or, although we know that your preference is not for HMOs, could it could it be converted to an HMO? So actually, it would be probably be the reverse in your case, for for it, even though you wouldn't want to do that. So the truth is, there are always different options, and there there will always be a market. It just might not be the market you want to go in. Yeah, and something that I might be able to find that that would be would give me options is looking for a property that perhaps is a two bed property but could be relatively easily converted to a three-bed. So that, that might give me a little bit of flexibility in, in the, the market. And certainly something I'd, I'd really love to find is a, 
is a property that I could convert into a couple of flats. But yeah, I, I think that's, that that kind of property is probably going to be out of my out of my budget in terms of probably money, but almost certainly time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so well, I'd be in, in the location that you look in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, well I would. While I would find such a project very interesting, I don't think it's it's going to be something I'm actually going to look for on this occasion. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, just just to bring it back to summarising why I picked the location I picked, number one, because the properties we wanted to buy were more affordable for us based on our budget. And two, I knew the area. And three, it would provide we knew that that strategy that we wanted to do would provide the cash flow that we needed so they, they were the key ones for us in terms of making our sort of selections interesting that that's almost entirely financial <laughs> those, uh, those those metrics whereas the metrics i'm using are almost entirely non-financial in so much as i'm choosing very much on proximity and knowing the area and then saving up the financials in order to make those fit the the other criteria yeah and and as we said at the outset you, you can also use other people's knowledge so if if you like the idea of investing in the northwest and you're in the south that you don't necessarily yourself have to have that knowledge someone else might have it but of course our view would be that you'd have to know those people very well and, and trust them quite well and they'd have to have the experience but provided you know they met all of you and fulfilled all of your own sort of personal criteria, then you can almost in inverted commas outsource that that kind of knowledge to to go in those areas. And of course, there's lots of companies, and I certainly looked at that when I was starting out because properties in the northeast you can still get for for a really good price, but that's even further away from where I currently invest. And for me personally, I just wanted to be able to walk down the streets that I was investing. Really, that was that was the key thing. But uh, so it's, it's all possible. Indeed, it is. Um, however, apparently, keeping a podcast to the intended length is not possible. It's, it's absolutely. And I was going to say the same thing. The only thing that's not possible is keeping keeping <laughs> ourselves to time. So, so with that in mind, Stuart, do you want to finish off for today? <laughs> yeah, and we've mentioned this throughout the podcast, but all of the slides that we've mentioned will be on thebusinessofproperty.com, as will all the show notes, as per usual. And if you do want a copy of the, the full presentation, do send us a contact uh, via the contact form on the on the web page. We won't just put it out there because it's, it's quite a big file. So you should have to reach out to us. And if you've listened this far, we hope you're enjoying the show. And if, if you are and you haven't yet left us a rating or review, please do so. Or at least share this podcast with one person that you think will benefit from it. Other than that, we'll see you next Wednesday. <laughs>